Curry back to Porter. Slices through the defense, rotates to Wiggins, lets it fly. The free ball's no good. Rebound, Porter Jr. on the tip. Curry gets it, rotates to Thompson. Back up top, Curry lets it fly. Straight on for a three for Curry. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Welcome back to the Warriors podcast. I'm Tim Roy. The Warriors have started the unofficial second half of the season. It's really a 20-plus something game sprint to the finish and uh, a lot of work to do for Golden State to get ready for a long playoff run, which we all hope happens yet again uh, for the Warriors. They're coming off an incredible all-star weekend that ranged from Jonathan Kaminga and the Rising Stars right through the dunk contest with Juan Toscano-Anderson as he tried to pay homage to the great uh, Jay Rich, Jason Richardson, and then what can you say about Sunday? And Stephen Curry, Andrew Wiggins playing in his first All-Star game, Draymond Green on hand, but Stephen Curry, 16 threes, 50 points. What a show he put on in Cleveland, further cementing his legacy as a superstar, as an underrated superstar, and the best shooter that this game has ever seen. I mean, it, it was just incredible. Yes, it was an exhibition. Yes, I know. But still, 16, 16 threes from range, too. Not only that, but the joy that he has, you know, when he launches those, the joy he has and when he knows it's going in to have some fun with the fans, to have some fun with his teammates. Uh, it's just incredible. And, and we will never see the like of him, at least in my lifetime, again. And as I say those words, I'm reminded that, you know, we always say that about great players, and then another great player comes along. But I don't know if anyone's ever going to do it the way Steph does it. Coming up on this edition of the Warriors podcast, we say goodbye to a longtime beat writer, Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle, came on board to cover the Warriors right after the signing of Kevin Durant. So he was on the fast track to three NBA finals, and we talk about his, his life in journalism Covering the Warriors, we will chronicle, no pun intended, a couple of his favorite stories that he wrote over time while covering Golden State. And we'll learn about the new beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle and find out what's up next for Connor Letourneau. Then I sat down with Juan Toscano-Anderson up in Portland and chatted about his All-Star weekend and what it meant to him to be able to represent Oakland and Jason Richardson and just make that journey to Cleveland and be part of of the NBA celebration of basketball. All that upcoming, and we'll look back at 75 years, 75 stars with uh, Jim Barnett. That's upcoming a little bit later. But first off, let's start with my conversation with Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, it's always nice to move upwards and onwards, but we're going we're gonna to miss you on the beat, Connor. And, and um, you, you started covering the Warriors in 2016. Your timing was pretty good. Yeah, I got on right after they signed Kevin Durant. Uh, first NBA beat ever. I felt uh, I was 25 at the time. I, it was kind of a dream come true for me. Got to cover three finals runs, two titles. Um, yeah, I'm going to look back on my time on the beat incredibly fondly, one of the best times of my life. I uh, got so many amazing experiences, got to cover such an incredible organization with so many quality people in it. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's been amazing. I'm excited for the next chapter, but it's a little bittersweet. Talk to me a little bit about the the stories that you were able to get to while on the beat. Maybe a couple of your favorites. 
Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing on the beat was trying to kind of lift the curtain for readers, you know, give them real insight into the dynamics of the team, who these people are, who the players, what makes the players and coaches tick. And so uh, I really made an effort to try to do bigger takeouts and profiles on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, some of my favorite pieces, I did a big profile last season on Juan Descano Anderson that got into his childhood homeless in East Oakland, got into a lot of hardships his family went through, um, and he was incredibly candid for that piece. And so that's definitely one of my favorites. Um, I did a I did a big piece last summer on Jonathan Kaminga where I walked the Las Vegas Strip with him during summer league, and I, uh, I, I got into his childhood in the Congo and uh, his how he got to this point in the U.S. getting drafted as a lottery pick. So those were really like just two examples of the types of stories I love doing, you know, getting back, getting into players' backstories, um, what made them who they are. And I got to give a lot of credit to Ray Ritter and the Warriors for giving me that kind of access. That's not necessarily the case with a lot of professional teams. And the Warriors always put me in a position where I could tell those types of stories. So it was a great uh, working relationship. And those stories live forever, right? People can go find them? Oh, yeah. Uh, SFChronicle.com. I mean, if you type in Google, Jonathan Kaminga Vegas I'm sure it'll come up you know those types of things so yeah I mean I hopefully those can be the types of stories that uh will go down as maybe the definitive profile of those guys and so anytime you want the backstory on those guys you can go back and revisit them let's talk a little bit about this season you've been around the club enough to have a feel for what do you what do you see obviously they've surprised a lot of people with the number of wins they're able to pile up so far what 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 do you see as the 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 crucial things that have to happen for them to have a deep playoff run the biggest thing is health right I mean this team I really believe that this team when fully healthy is the best team in the league they just have such a nice mix of offense and defense I think it's the the deepest team I've ever covered uh which is saying a lot because those teams with Kevin Durant were pretty darn good pretty deep but the second unit is so strong. I mean, you look at the 15-man roster, there isn't, there isn't really a weak link. I mean, Gary Payton II was the last ad, and he's been a key rotation player and is almost like an all-defensive team caliber guy. Um, so I really – and I think the pieces fit really well together. I, I think I think you got, have to give Bob Myers a ton of credit for what he did putting this roster together. Um, but, you know, you have – Andre Iguodala, who's missed a ton of time. You have Draymond Green, who's missed a ton of time. That back issue could be concerning uh, going forward. And so if those two guys can come back and be not only factors, but be at their best come playoff time, I really think this team can win a title. But if they're not healthy or if they're not close to 100%, it's going to be a lot harder, uh, especially when you look at the lack of size this team has. They need Draymond to be peak Draymond, that 16-game player. So that's that's really the biggest thing for me. Like I, I don't think fans should be too concerned about the record going forward or what seed they get. They should be following what does Draymond look like, what does Andre look like. Obviously, it helped too if you could get Wiseman back. Wiseman is, is where I was going to go next because uh, he can help with that size. And even if he you know, only has a certain amount of things that he has to do, he, he can help his team. Definitely. I mean, Wiseman's just such a freak athlete, and um, he still has a lot to learn in terms of the NBA game. His, his development has been so interrupted by injuries and things like that. 
Um, I'm not necessarily confident that he can be a huge difference maker come the playoffs, but he can definitely help you um, eat up some minutes in the rest of the regular season, uh, provide a big body on the Jokic's of the world, the the DeAndre Ayton's of the world. Um, And it's it's just going to be so important for him to get his confidence back, to feel like he's got his legs under him, um, because you don't want this to be a lost season. You know, last season was was difficult in a lot of ways, and you want him to at least – feel like he's in somewhat of a groove going into next season which I think is going to be really important for him are you on team Kaminga oh I'm I'm number one (laughs) bandwagon leader of team Kaminga I mean I've I've been on the beat for over five years and I'm not sure there's been a young player I've been more interested in he's just so intriguing in terms of his size his his, uh, physical tools I, I really believe people have asked me what is his upside what is his ceiling I don't think he has a ceiling. Like, I really think that the sky is the absolute limit. I think he's already proven at 19 years old that he can be a factor in the playoffs for a title contender, which is saying a lot, as you know. Um, And I think that he can and should be the future of this franchise. With all the things you've done in your career, and and granted, you have a lot more to do, but where do you think you're going to put – Stephen Curry when it's all over and done in terms of you know people you had a chance to talk to and cover oh right at the top I mean uh as a, as a beat writer uh when you get to witness greatness like that on a day-to-day basis it's a, it's it's a privilege and you don't take it for granted and he is such a special person uh off the floor as well that it just makes the experience of covering him even better um you know, I, I I tweeted the other day, the last technical game on the beat that I was covering was the All-Star game in Cleveland a couple of days ago, uh, which he went off for 60, had 16 uh, three-pointers. And I, I tweeted, like, this is super fitting because I've written a, so many game stories about his greatness. For him to go out like, like that in terms of my last game on the beat just felt really... Uh, fitting, uh, but you know, I've also I've also really loved covering Draymond. I've loved covering um, Andre and Clay, specifically Clay. Like I, I just Clay is just so such a unique, special person, and uh, you know, I've really enjoyed just our interactions, getting to know him and his family. Um, so yeah, I mean, I tell everyone the guy who is replacing me, uh, CJ Holmes from the Athletic, just started yesterday. Uh, I told him, you know, the best thing about covering this team is the access and the personalities on the team. They're all genuinely quality dudes, which is, I think, pretty rare for any sports team, for every dude to be a quality human being. And it makes our job a lot more interesting and more fun. You know, everyone talks about, yes, they're super relevant. Yes, they could win a title. But that wasn't my favorite thing about covering this team. It was the fact that I could tell good stories. That's all I really care about. Yeah, I think we all want to be Clay for at least a day. Uh, (laughs) But so what's up next for you? What's going on? I'm moving into a sports enterprise role, um, which basically allows me to focus on longer form pieces on all Bay Area sports topics, big profiles, um, you know, getting at the intersection of sports and society. Uh, But, yeah, I'll still be writing a good amount of Warriors stuff. I'll I'll be helping out in in the playoffs, but mainly just bigger pieces, you know, stories that are over 15 to 2,000 words. I'll be writing far less, but the stories I write will be longer. So like we were talking about with that JTA and Kaminga story, like those are the stories that I'm really passionate about. And in this role, I'll be able to focus exclusively on those. Now, when you talk about writing, and obviously it's changing now because everything's digital and, 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 you know, the hold the paper in your hand days are, are coming to an end. When I first started working the NBA and 
beat Ryers from the East Coast, they would come out the West Coast. They wouldn't even try to register because they weren't going to get it on deadline. Right. So they would just wait and write a recap. Explain to people what uh, beat writers have to do now in today's era while covering a game because you guys are constantly writing. Yeah, it's it's no joke, especially working for a, a, a newspaper because you have to write every day. Um, you know, you're writing three to four times a day, every day, seven days a week. You're writing over 20 stories a week while traveling. You know, uh, you're at every practice, every shoot around, every game. And you're also trying to juggle that with writing the bigger stories, the enterprise, the the profiles and all that. And so it's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a real grind, but I loved it. I mean, I wouldn't trade my time on the beat for anything. Um, I don't think, I don't know if it's something I could have done my whole career uh, just cause it's, cause it is such a grind, but uh, it is uh, an amazing experience. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think when I tell them about my job and they're not familiar with it, oh, you just you cover games. It's like, that's actually a really small part of the job. I mean, just for today, for example, I was taking our new, I'm up here helping our new beat writer and I was explaining the details of everything. It's like, yeah, so you got to write off shoot around, then you got to write any news that comes up, then you have to write uh, a pregame story, then you have to write a story right at the buzzer, then you have to write a deeper analysis piece off the game so every single game day you're writing about four four or five stories one of which is long yeah so yeah that's that's a long day (laughs) it's a a long day we're gonna miss you on the everyday beat i'm sure we'll see you around at at various points of the uh, season and postseason but it's been a pleasure working alongside and and uh, wish you uh, nothing but the best thank you and you're you're one of the best it's been so awesome getting to know you and the rest of the people in the organization we hope that Connor won't stray too far away from the Warriors' beat. Some of those takeout pieces that he did, including that walk on the Vegas Strip with Jonathan Kaminga, really well done and really insightful as to Jonathan's journey to the NBA. Time now to go to Juan Toscano-Anderson, who had a great weekend in Cleveland, though he did not win the slam dunk contest. He finished second to Obi Toppin of the New York Knicks. But I sat down in Portland after shoot-around with Juan to find out his thoughts about the weekend and what it meant to Juan to be there and to participate in the celebration of basketball. So tell me a little bit about about, uh, Cleveland. What was was that like, and and how much fun did you have? Uh, It was really cold. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Great experience. New experiences are always fun, right? Um, and it was something I got to, um, you know, enjoy with my family. So my family came. Um, a lot, of, a lot of my family who wasn't able to come, you know, they watched and they celebrated. So that was really cool, just to bring like, um, you know, a moment of proudness to my family and my mom, my brothers and sisters. So um, all in all, everything, everything went really well. It's not as good unless you can share it. Of course. I mean, the older I get, it's like it don't matter, really matter what you have or what you do in life. Like when you do it by yourself, it, it doesn't really hit the same. So, and then like, I mean, not only am I sharing it with other people, I'm sharing it with the people who mean the most to me. So um, it, it's really cool. It's, I mean, it's something I'll add to my resume. It's another accomplishment, of course. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm satisfied. What was it like being able to share your experience and kind of dedicated which I thought was really cool to Jay Rich. Oh, that was really cool. I mean, it's unfortunate that I didn't, I didn't convert the dunk. Um, I knew it was a hard dunk. It was something I had only done once. Um, and even I laughed, we laughed about it. We had a conversation out of the fact he told me he only did it once and that was in the dunk contest. I mean, it's a really hard dunk to do, but um, I mean, to answer your question, that was really cool. He's somebody I've grown up watching, somebody I've admired obviously being a Warrior fan and being from Oakland, so... Um, 
And I knew Warrior fans would appreciate that. Like I said, it's just unfortunate I didn't convert the dunk. He was just sick back in the day with the, with the way he could get up off the ground. Right. I mean, very, very athletic, very explosive. So, I mean, like I said, somebody I looked up to as a kid when I'd be doing dunks in the driveway. You know what's great about his career, too, was that he remade himself as his career went on. He became a three-point shooter, you know, when, when the athleticism started to wane a little bit, and he ended up having a nice long career. Yeah, of course, what, Dallas, Phoenix. Um, so that's really cool, man. He's a legend in my eyes. What was it like hanging around the, the top 75? I mean, it, you're around greatness. It's not every day that we get to be around greatness. I mean, in any facet of, of life, like how often do you get to be around the greatest people to do, you know, what you do? So, um it just, I have the desire to keep, you know, it recharges my batteries and the desire to keep working, to keep trying to get better and, you know, keep, you know, pursuing um, greatness to some capacity, you know, trying to be great, trying to win a championship um, and all those things. So it, it's really cool. Like I said, it's not every day that you get to be around greatness. So I cherish those type of moments. Speaking of greatness, how about number 30 on Sunday? Very exciting. I was really happy to watch him, you know, do that and to be his teammate. And hear all those fans and people in Cleveland boo him, and you know I'm in there cheering him on. That was that was really cool. What's it going to be like for this team now? 23 games as we the day we're taping this, we're in Portland. 23 games left to try to gear this up. What what do you guys need to do over that stretch? I mean, I think everybody on this team from the top to the bottom knows that we have the capabilities and we have the pieces, you know, to make a run and. Um, you know, compete for a championship, but we have to tighten up in a lot of different aspects of, you know, our team defense, um, everything. Uh, we can sit here and talk all day that we got to get better, but that's the beauty of this team, that we're so good, but we still have so much room for growth. Um, and so I just think, you know, lock in, focus, 23 games is going to go with Zoom by. I mean, we got like five games in like the next seven or eight days, and so that just goes to show you how fast this is going to go. Um, and so, you know, lock in, focus, you know, take care of our bodies, try to stay healthy and, uh, you know, you know, just really dedicate all our time, energy and being into, you know, trying to pursue this, you know, uh, this goal. What can you do to help in that regard? Um, be myself. Um, I think, you know, that's or I know that's why I'm on this team is because of who I am and, you know, what I bring to the table. So uh, when I get the opportunity to do so, I'll do that. Um, you know, like I said, just be myself, be a, a component of, you know, our, our, our success. And, um, you know, sometimes it sucks as a player to say this, but, you know, it's not just on the court where you can contribute to, you know, your team's success. Um, and so, you know, um, I'll just try to find different ways, what, you know, helping guys get better on a day-to-day -day basis, keeping the more team morale up, um, you know, being on the bench, talking, being vocal, bringing energy to the team. So. Yeah, championship teams always have guys that, that help out in that regard. They always do. Of course. I mean, some some of the most successful things, teams, companies, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes or a lot of people who aren't, you know, to the average spectator. Um, they're doing a lot behind the scenes. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, the people who make the decisions, management, owners, GMs, like they know what they're doing. They know what's going on behind the scenes. And so... Uh, I just continue to play my part and, and be of value. As always, I appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you. You're not going to be a guy who's more grateful to be in the NBA and a down-to-earth person than Juan Toscano-Anderson. He is a remarkable young man. 
and I look forward to working with him for years to come. As you know, on the Warriors podcast, we're celebrating 75 years, 75 stars, and we're trying to get to as many as we can. And we had one recently up in Portland. It's always a celebration for Jim Barnett. He scored the first points in the Trailblazers franchise history, and he also hit the bucket that Bill Shonley, the legendary play-by-play man for the Portland Trailblazers, uttered the phrase, Rip City, and that has become a two-word phrase that defines Portland NBA basketball. Let's look at the journey again for Jim Barnett, a man that means so much to the Warriors and to the NBA in Northern California. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Tonight, we look at the teacher, Jim Barnett. I left it on the court, right there. I never cheated myself, my teammates, fans. I played hard every night. And while effort was never a problem on the floor, Jim's contributions off the floor have helped define the Warriors franchise. To help me tell the story, here is Hall of Famer and former Warriors executive Jerry West, the logo himself, from a previous Warriors online special. A self-proclaimed basketball junkie, Jim Barnett played 11 seasons in the NBA for seven different teams. His game was guided by fundamentals of the sport. Those fundamentals and his passion for the game was learned as a five foot nine skinny 15 year old at Ramona High School in Riverside, California. Tom Williams, Jim's high school basketball coach, inspired him. It was interesting because he asked me if I was gonna be first string varsity the next year and I thought he was joking because I'd averaged six points a game on the B team. I wasn't even good enough for the JV team. And he told me that I needed to get confidence in myself and it was 75% desire, 25% ability, and I believed him. College scholarship offers came from 11 big time schools and Barnett chose the University of Oregon where he became All-American and set a new school scoring record. In 1966 draft, the defending champions, Boston Celtic, drafted Jim in the first round the number eight pick in the country. The Celtics roster was loaded with veteran players. After one season, Jim was picked off the Celtics roster by the expansion San Diego Rockets, where he would play for three seasons. Pat Riley was our first ever draft pick. We became a very close-knit group. We ended up winning 15 games and losing 67, but we were in a lot of games and we fought and and we, we you know, did everything together. We had, we just had great camaraderie. During his 11-year career with seven different franchises, Jim left an impact on all of his teammates. He shared a locker room with 19 Hall of Famers and either played with or against 34 of the NBA's top 50 players. In 1970, Barnett was traded to the expansion Portland Trailblazers, a brand new NBA team in Oregon. The feisty guard scored the first point in Portland history on a free throw. He averaged a career-high 18.5 points a game in his only season with the Trailblazers. Jim's greatest legacy may be hitting the shot that prompted radio announcer Bill Shonley to say, Rip City, a catchphrase that lasts today. And we were playing the Lakers, and we were down by about 20, and we had a tremendous comeback. I came down, and it was well beyond where the three-point line would be today. It was probably about a 26 to 28-footer. And I just launched it. You know, when I got like that, I was unconscious. I didn't think about running a play. The next basket by Portland would tie the mighty Lakers. And Bill Shonley was kind of astounded and astonished 
that I would take that shot, and he was actually getting ready to criticize. He's, you know, like, what, what's he doing? It looked good, and for whatever reason, when it went through the twine, I said, Rip City. And he'd never said that before. He'd never uttered that phrase. But that phrase turned out to be synonymous with Portland, and for that matter, all over the country. The next uniform for Jim Barnett was a Golden State Warrior. His coach for three years, Al Adels. Run the one down, open and close. One down, open and close. He didn't get on us too much, but when he did, he got your attention. Um, Al was very, has always been very composed, but no one wanted to mess with Al. <laughs> In the 1973 playoffs, the Warriors would match up with the Milwaukee Bucks. In game six, Jim's best friend, Clyde Lee, had 19 rebounds, and Barnett scored a team-high 26 points as Golden State clinched the series for their loyal fans. The Warriors showed their appreciation, wrapping up the series four games to two with a 100 to 86 triumph. In 1974, Jim missed out of the Warriors championship season when he was chosen by the New Orleans Jazz in the expansion draft. In his final years, he played a season and a half for the New York Knicks and finished his playing career with the Philadelphia 76ers. I think I was a good NBA player. In fact, I know I was a good player. In all humility, I think I've become a better broadcaster than I was a player, if I can say that. Knows they were blown out last night, but it's nice to see George Carl. Jim draws respect from the best players in the NBA. I have flashbacks uh, when you were playing with me with the Knicks about your family. I remember meeting your daughter. I had held her when she was a little baby and your family and all of that. That's one of Barnett's teammates, Walt Frazier, legendary New York Knicks guard and broadcaster. Two other Hall of Famers whose lives have intersected with Jim are Miami Heat executive Pat Riley and former Lakers announcer Chick Hearn. Off the court, he was a fun-loving, uh, great, gregarious personality, wonderful to be around. He is today. He had a few problems, though. He was a little wacky at times. In fact, we had him as captain of the All-Flake team for four years, and one year we didn't name him as the captain, he got mad. He said, I'm flakier than anybody in this league. Barnett only played a half season in Philadelphia, but the impression he made on Sixers teammate Doug Collins was real. And Barney was a great teammate, high energy, passionate and uh, was fun to be around. Um, when, I, when I think of Barney, I think of a guy, I don't know if there's anybody in the NBA who loves basketball more than he does. Greg, I think Thurl Bailey is the key matchup in the series. And what makes him so effective? For three decades, Jim Barnett has shared his insight and knowledge with Warrior fans. His honesty and appreciation for the game delivered nightly into our homes. He's a teacher of basketball with an earnest passion. But this is an exciting game. Yes, it's different when Miami comes. It's truly exciting. Jim Barnett and I only worked together a few years, but I found a guy who could really break down the game of basketball and was able to articulate his thoughts in a very short period of time, making it perfect for television. You know, he's so much fun to watch, not only for the fans, but for the players themselves. Very special week for Terry Teagle, well-deserved award. And usually the NBA Player of the Week award. That was Steve Fiziok, one of Jim's early television partners. And over the years, he would team up with Bob Fitzgerald, Greg Papa, the jovial Steve Albert, and some guy named Tim Roy. It was exciting. He's, he had so much energy. He just made you alive. He made you work harder, and he had such a joy uh, for the game. Also, what is interesting about Jim as a broadcast partner is, once that ball is thrown up, I don't think there's been anybody better 
at analyzing why player A gets to point B on the floor and why player B is beating player C off the dribble or why uh, the Warriors are doing well in this quarter fundamentally and why they're not. Over the years, Warrior fans have learned some common themes from Jim. Some of those concepts occur frequently during a game and they enter the book of Barnett. If you look at facing someone up, you better get in a triple threat position and a three-on-one better become a two-on-one. The book of Barnett, air balls, go to the offense. Jim, we worked five years together on the Golden State Warriors broadcasts, but it only felt like 10. But I'm looking forward to Matt Biondi and company. Yeah, you have no time for a date, Steve. No, I, I mean, you, you do too many things. What Jim was expert at was, was really analyzing the player's thought in a certain situation and the individual skills of the players. Analyze what's happening, what's likely to happen. First guess a little bit, foreshadow what may happen. That's where Jim really stands out among all his peers. Jim is one of those guys. He bridged, you know, old school TV and radio and the NBA to what's happening right now. And he did it seamlessly and flawlessly. He had so much energy and, and so much pure passion for the sport and it came across every night. So you want to be proactive, you want to be aggressive at that. The best teachers inspire us to learn, and Jim enhances our appreciation of the game with his knowledge. You know, you, you, you live a life, and you can't live it just for yourself. You, you've got to extend out to the community. I was a great believer in triple threat, where you catch that ball, you establish your pivot foot, and you pivot and face the basket, and you save that dribble, because you can pass, dribble, or shoot. Well, now I want to affect people in a positive way, and I think it's important to do so and to be positive, no matter what environment you're in. In his three years with the Warriors, Jim Barnett would average 11.9 points per game. And for his 732-game career, he averaged 11.7. He's been part of the NBA since 1966, and this is his 37th season of broadcasting Warriors basketball. It's all been part of an amazing career for Jim Barnett, whose impact on the NBA, the Warriors franchise, and basketball in Northern California cannot be measured. Generations of Warrior fans have learned how to play basketball the right way, in large part because they know the book of Barnett. Player, analyst, teacher, 75 years, 75 stars, JB. This has been 75 Years, 75 Stars. Hey, that's it for this edition of the Warriors Podcast. I'm Tim Roy thanking James Kincaid, thanking the Grand Pooba of all things Warriors Audio. That is R.C. Davis. We'll see you next time right here on the Warriors Podcast. Tell your friends about us and let us know. And don't forget, not just the interviews we do here on the Warriors Podcast, every postgame show that we air on Warriors Radio, whether it be with yours truly and Jim Barnett or yours truly and Tom Tolbert, we air those postgame chats. It's a chance for you to catch up if you missed the game. You can find out what happened and why there. And plus, we get in a couple of shenanigans here and there as well. So check that out right here and tell your friends wherever they get their podcast to look for the Warriors podcast.